Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson, the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship Lord Jesus Christ. Um, for those of you that uh, uh, missed us last week, I missed you too. I was on vacation, but um, thanks to uh, our great friend COVID and several other things, a lot of us missed last Sunday. So uh, we're glad to have uh, a lot of folks back and looking forward to uh, getting everybody else back in the next few weeks as all this stuff kind of runs its course all over again. If you have your Bible, we're going to be the... Hmm, I'm going to try that one more time. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. I'm going to ask you, before you uh, stand and before we read, I'm going to ask you to please keep our children in your prayers this week. We have 20 kids who are going to leave and go to children's camp this week, along with uh, two adults. So y'all pray for them as they are away. We had um, a total of 60 that went to youth camp. I think that was like 48 teenagers and then 11 adults and then me, so whatever I am. But uh, um, So uh, they, they were great. Appreciate your prayers there. They're the ones that brought all the COVID back, so y'all can thank them for all. They, they share so many things with all of our church family. All right, hopefully you've made it to John chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me and honor of God's word as we read. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and these lay a multitude of invalids, lame, or excuse me, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in Jesus to be enough. I pray that as we consider this word this morning, that we would be willing to accept Jesus even when it costs us everything. Move among us, speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you willing to accept Jesus as healing if it costs you your identity? People identify in all sorts of ways. They wear orange or garnet. I've seen some of you here this morning. I'm sorry. Your t-shirt might proclaim your commitment to the Second Amendment or your identification as a deer hunter or just how much you love Disney World. Just this week, on a clearance rack, I found a hat with a German short-haired pointer on it. And I was so excited that I could purchase that to proclaim to the entire world my deep love for my dog. I identify with my dog and I want to be identified as the kind of man that has a dog that is that awesome. He is a stud. He might come to work with me tomorrow. I'm not sure. But of course, it isn't only our dogs, our sports team. We're expected to identify with all sorts of things these days, right? I see people drive down the road and, and they, they have a salt life sticker on the back to let me know how much they love the ocean. Uh, I, I love it now that we, we, have, we even identify with our, our job. I'm going to get one that says pastor life on the back, right? You got 
teacher life or nurse life or all these other things. Everybody's identifying with their job. And then some of you wives are so awesome, you identify with your husband's job. I'm getting angels on one of those stickers that say pastor's wife on the back. We're all identifying with all sorts of things. But of course, some of these are a bit humorous and lighthearted. But, it, but we're also expected to identify as sexual beings, completely defined by our sexual desires. Carl Truman wrote an entire book. As a matter of fact, Carl Truman has now written two books. He wrote one that was really big and thick, and it's called The Triumph of the Modern Self. And then he wrote a, a condensed version of that, and I apologize to tell you I can't remember the name of it. I, I actually did a podcast with Carl Truman about this book about a year ago. Um, and in that, Carl Truman introduces his book this way. He says that he based the entire book on one statement. I identify as a woman trapped in a man's body. He went on to write, My grandfather died in 1994, less than 30 years ago, and yet, had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt that he would have burst out laughing and considered it a piece of incoherent gibberish. And yet it is a sentence that many in our society regard as not only meaningful, but so significant that to deny it or question it in some way is to reveal oneself as stupid, immoral, or subject to yet another irrational phobia. Identity is a big deal in our world today. People identify as gay or straight, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. If I really want to flex my politically correct bona fides, I could self-identify as a heterosexual, cisgender, middle-aged, white male. I have to define some of those terms for you um, because to be heterosexual, you got figured out, y'all assumed that I was a white guy because I am like the whitest human on planet Earth. Um, I've been at the beach this week. I don't tan. There is no tanning in me. We purchase sunscreen in bulk for my family. But to, to say that I'm cisgender, that, that word, some of y'all that are under the age of 25 don't even know what that word means. That means that I choose to identify with my sex assigned at birth. Some of these things get a little bit wild, but it doesn't stop there. I, I don't just get to go there. I must identify as either oppressed or oppressive. Some corners want to force us to identify as handicapped or able bodies, as feminist or chauvinist. Increasingly, people don't even stop there. The identifications keep coming. I'm a depressed person. I'm just that way. I'm angry. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I have ADHD. And just in case that wasn't enough, we created the Enneagram so that we could define ourselves with all these letters and numbers I don't even understand. I just can't help who I am. There's a huge problem. And this problem actually has a name, and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus calls us out of all of our contrived identities and calls us into a new family, into a new relationship, into being a brand new creation. See, Jesus came to blow up our identifications and to reorient our lives specifically around him and his priorities. We find ourselves this morning working with a man who identified in a particular kind of way. And the way he identified is as an invalid on a mat. This morning, I want to ask if you're willing to give it all away. All of your identity. So that you might identify as a Christian. Would you willing, willingly... Choose to no longer be a Democrat or a Republican if you were a follower of Christ? 
Would you willingly choose to even no longer be an American if you were a follower of Jesus Christ? Folks, Jesus reorients our identity. Three things I want us to see from this passage of Scripture this morning. The first is this. Never allow your issues to become your identity. Never allow your issues to become your identity. I spent about a week with our students at Fuge Camp before going on vacation. Um, and while I was there, there was a, there, while we were there, I wasn't by myself. I tried my best. They followed me everywhere I went. Um, but while we were there, there was a, a, another large group from Alabama. And uh, one of their leaders, I got to know while we were there. And I'm walking through the parking lot one afternoon. And I see him in the parking lot with his Blackstone grill. And he's out there just cooking in the parking lot. I said, man, this guy has got it figured out. He's tailgating for youth camp. He was. I'm not kidding. He's just flipping things on that grill. I said, brother, this is something else. I, I, have, I have been to youth camps for all of my life, and I've never seen anybody tailgate. I was looking for cornhole boards. But it turns out there was more. He explained to me that his wife has celiac disease, and she has to be really careful about what she eats. And so... Um, they had to cook some food for her separate from what everybody else seen. But here's what I noticed about that lady. She, she really caught me by surprise. Because she would cook her food, whatever it was, and some of the times she'd just go to the cafeteria and eat salad, apparently. But she'd cook it, and then watch. She'd wrap it up in tinfoil and just kind of sneak it into the cafeteria and sit down and eat with everybody else. It really jumped out at me. She was not interested in being identified as that, that person that wasn't eating what everybody else did, that person with a disability or a disease. She was interested in being identified as part of her church body, as part of this group of, of teenagers and adults who had come together where the Lord could do something. Rather than allowing her disease to become her identity, she's found a way to work around it. I saw her several times. And she was careful not to choose to be identified with her disability. Listen to me. If your issue becomes your identity, you will stay on your mat forever because to get healed of your hurt, you will have to lose who you are. I stole that one from somebody. It was so good I couldn't rework it. Read that again. Your issue, if your issue is your identity, you will, you will stay on your mat forever because to get healed of your hurt, you will have to lose who you are. This is the issue. This guy's laying there on this mat. Do you understand? This was his community. Don't miss this. this. These were his people. These people were laying around this pool. This is what they did day in and day out. This was their coffee club. Hey, where's the guy on, on the mat down by the corner? He'll be here in a little while. Do you understand? Go back. After this, there was a feast. We don't actually know what the feast was. Jesus went there. We suspect this is in the fall of the year, so maybe something like tabernacles. We don't know for sure. And there was a pool um, it's in Aramaic called Bethesda. We don't even know for sure where that is because after Jerusalem was destroyed, a lot of these things went away. And there in this pool, um, there were multitude, not just one. Do you understand the Bible here is not giving us names? There's a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. There's a whole bunch of them. This is a community of people. This is all the trees in the forest. We don't have an individual involved here. All the people are in this place. And what were they doing? They were laying around waiting on a superstitious hope. This is their community, a community organized around superstition. You know we have communities about all kinds of things. There's communities about people that believe in aliens. There's communities about all sorts. This is a community of people who believe that if somebody would throw them in this pool, that they would be healed. 
Folks, one of the greatest challenges with bringing people to Christ in the 21st century is that people have chosen to be identified with their issues. When your issue is your identity, you have to hang on to those issues or lose your identity, your community, and your friends. Do you understand that? If you only have your friends or your community because y'all share the same problems, you need a different community. If you have a community because you identify as a victim, be careful. See, victimhood is an endless spiral and you will have to develop more issues to maintain your status as a victim. WebMD actually lists victim mentality as a kind of medical problem. I didn't know that. Let's keep working through this. Victims often are unwilling to accept responsibility for the... By the way, this is not me. This is what WebMD says about victim mentality. Victims are often unwilling to accept responsibility for their actions and have unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, but they tend to have a few benefits. This is the benefit of victim mentality. There is no accountability because you ain't going to listen to what anybody tells you anyway because they couldn't understand. You can't understand what I'm going through. All right, so there's no accountability. Um, and then they get to enjoy sympathy, attention, and sometimes even access to medication or money because of their victim status. This is WebMD. This is not Craig Thompson. So if you don't like it, just call WebMD and tell them how evil they are. Let me tell you what else the WebMD says. Some signs that you might be a victim. Or that you might have a victim mentality. You blame others. You think life is against you. You feel stuck and have a negative attitude about everything. You feel attacked when someone tries to offer helpful feedback. You attract... I love this one. Brace yourself. You attract other people who blame others and complain about their life. You become a magnet for negative people. Folks, if your dinner parties consist of everybody complaining about all their ailments, you need to assess what it is that's bringing all y'all together. Don't feel attacked. That means you're a victim. So hold on, we're going to get back to this in a minute. Folks, the problem with this victim mentality is that when somebody offers you a solution, you've got to find another problem so that you can hold on to your victimhood. Now, you're like, what does this have to do? If we're not careful, we allow our issues to become our identity. Did you pick up on what Jesus said to the man at one point? The first thing Jesus said is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? There's some of you who have no desire to be healed. Because if you lost all of your problems... You lose your identity. If you were healed, you lose the attention you were getting from your ailments or your problems. If you were healed, maybe nobody would notice you. If you walked away from your sin, you'd lose your community. Do you want to be healed? Couples come into my office for marriage counseling. I don't have as many as I used to, which concerns me. I don't know if, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm, I'm concerned that part of the issue is not that marriages are that much healthier, that, that the, the years of social distancing and separation have affected 
things in weird kind of ways. This, look, these kids all pointing at all these all teenagers over here. They all brought COVID back from camp, tried to take all y'all out. I mean, we were down by 150 in worship yesterday, last, last week because of them. Thanks, guys. Um, you know, our children are going to probably bring more back with them when they come back from camp next week. So brace yourself. We're going to send them anyway. You want to know why? Because all of these years of, of distancing has messed with some stuff. God's created us for community. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned just for what it's worth. Some of the reasons I don't do the counseling I used to do is not because all these marriages and all y'all are so much better off, but because we're a little worse off and we're not sure what it looks like to be engaged in community. That's a side note. But if you were to show up in my office for marriage counseling... I'm going to listen to you for a few minutes, but the first question I'm going to ask you is this. Do you really want to get better? Do you want this marriage to work? And every time I get a confused look, one of y'all is going to walk in. I've already warned you, and you're going to, I'm going to ask you, and you're going to give me this weird look like, why would you ask me that? Sir, we're here. Here's the reality. If you don't really want your marriage to get better... There's no point in you being here. That's what I'm going to tell them. You're wasting my time. I'm wasting your time. I can't make you better unless you want to be better. And side note, I can't make you better anyway. You understand? Jesus looks at this man laying on his mat and he says, do you want to be healed? And we all look at him, well, of course he wants to be healed. There's some of y'all that are laying on your mat today and you don't want to be healed. Because you like the attention you're getting down there as everybody walks by and go look at poor so-and-so. And Jesus is calling you to more. Never allow your issues to become your identity. The second thing this morning I want you to see is that Jesus meets your excuses with expectations. Folks, this one comes from out of left field. This one comes from out of left field. Jesus hears our excuses and sort of slaps our hand. Watch, sir, I have no man, no one to put me in the water. That's not exactly what it is. Let me read it. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, well, Jesus, nobody will help me. Y'all, I read this, and it feels like parenting 101, doesn't it? Some of you that have little boys in your household understand what I'm fixing to say. You say, have you cleaned your room? Right? All I want is a yes or a no. That's really all I need. Like, did you pick the socks up off the steps? Did you do those things? All I want is a yes or a no. We don't get a yes or a no, though, do we, parents? Well, see, what had happened was, <laughs> where I was, but what I was trying to do, well, it's not my fault. You see, if, if she hadn't thrown those shorts right there, then we wouldn't be in this predicament now, would we? And as parents, we are just sitting there going, all I wanted was a yes or a no. I don't need your excuses. Jesus meets your excuses with expectation. Watch. Watch. He says, I, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. Let's keep going. When the water's stirred up. Now, now again, there's, there's some moving of this water. There's a superstition here. They believe that an angel came down and maybe dipped their wing in the water and stirred the water up. And they then believed that if somebody would just throw them in the water, they would be healed. Now, I hadn't figured this part out yet. This man's an invalid laying on a mat. If they put him in the water, who's pulling him back out? That's the part. Like, he's going to drown. I don't understand it. 
This man is willing to face drowning rather than hear the truth from Jesus. Some of y'all would rather drown on your own strength than be healed by the Master. Hold on, keep going. When it's stirred up, there's nobody putting me in. And when I'm going down, somebody gets in my way, Jesus. This is great. This is like Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's talking to God in the flesh. Do you remember what Adam said? God says, did you eat from that tree? And Adam says, that woman you gave me, Lord. <laughs> oh, wow. He didn't just blame her. He blamed God for giving him to her, her to him. Y'all, that's, that's a boss move right there. That's bold. The Lord is looking at this man and says, do you want to be better? And he says, ah, nobody will put me in. And when I got a chance, somebody cut in line in front of me. Doesn't it sound like elementary school? Listen to me. Some of y'all are living with an elementary school mentality when Jesus is calling you to grow up or level up, as Pastor Kevin talked about last week. You're sitting there telling Jesus the reason you had not grown up is because somebody cut in line. And Jesus is going, really? Watch what he does with your excuses. He meets them with expectation. Now, this is rude. Like, we, we paint this picture of Jesus as this, like, Santa Claus kind of fella. Jesus is rude to this guy. My mama would have slapped my mouth if I had spoken to somebody this way. And watch. He says, nobody will let me get in the water. And Jesus says, get up. Now, we don't know. We all read our own tone inflections into the words of the Lord because the Bible doesn't tell us. But we generally read Jesus going, get up. Take your man. Go on. It'll be okay. But how many of y'all... When you're offering to help somebody and they make up all the excuses about why they can't get any better, look at them and go, you know, just, just go on. We just love you. Just do your thing. Like, I wonder if Jesus didn't look at him and go, get up. Take your mat and walk. I was going to do this a little different, but you know what? Just go. Just so you'll know this is what it can be. Get up. Watch this. Jesus meets your excuses with expectations. Folks, this one punched me in the mouth. Jesus hears my excuses and he meets me with expectations. See, I can blame others or I can trust Jesus, but I can't do both. And the same thing goes for you. You can blame others or you can trust Jesus, but you can't do both. We're busy telling Jesus how hard our life is, how bad our situation is. We're blaming everyone and everything. We're laying on our mat with all of our hopes invested in a superstitious pool of water in the goodwill of passing people. And the Savior of the world is looking down at us and offering to pick us up. Sometimes we like it, though, don't we? We like our excuses because they're convenient. Remember what I said a minute ago? That whole victimhood thing? There's no accountability. As long as I can convince myself and everybody else that nobody else really understands me, then there is zero accountability in my life. Folks, I'm going to say something. Some of you might want to write it down. It's, it's ugly. Okay? You are not unique. I don't care if you got a tattoo that says you are. You're not. 
Okay? You're not unique. The only thing unique about you are your fingerprints. And chances are there's somebody else in the world that has those same ones or pretty close to it. Now this doesn't fit real well with the mindset we have in our modern age that we're all special and unique and different. But we're just not. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. You're a photocopy of somebody. And it's okay. You're still an image bearer of God. That's the biggest part of why you're not unique. You were made in God's image just like I was. And so there is within us this likeness. That means that the next time you want to try and convince somebody that they couldn't possibly understand you because your situation is so unique and different, you've got to look in the mirror and say, maybe they can. Because we're all a part of the human race. Creating the image of God with the same experiences, the same struggles, the same. You might have a little bit different than me. But folks, we can actually understand one another. This man looks up at Jesus and says, you don't get me. I'm laying right here and ain't nothing anybody can do for me. And Jesus said, get up. Watch this. Our justifications collapse under the gift of Christ's commandment. I wrestled with that sentence for quite some time because initially what I had, leave it up there for a minute, because initially what I wrote was, man, we need to change that font. Ooh. All right. Initially what I put was our justifications collapse under the weight of Christ's commandments. But, but I, I didn't like that because Jesus says, take my, he says that his burden is what? Easy, right? And light. So when I, when I had this idea, go back, go back. What y'all do? When I, thank you, you guys are great. When I had this idea that our justifications collapse under the weight of Christ's commandments, I, I couldn't think but, but about somebody just with this heavy burden on their back. And that that burden just wears them down and just collapses them. See, I, I, it's not that we collapse under the weight of Christ's commandment. It's that our justifications, our excuses collapse under the gift of Christ's commandment. Christ's commandment. I almost jumped. Christ, I, I'm going to, I'm so excited about this. Christ's commandments are a gift to us. We tend to see Christ's commandments as onerous and burdensome. But listen to what Jesus said. Get up, take your bed, and walk. What a mean, burdensome God that would look at a crippled, invalid man laying for 38 years on a mat and say, you get up and walk away. How dare he? See, we see the commands of Jesus as onerous because we've been fooled into believing that this broken world is normal. We, we, we see our struggles and our sin as right and normal and Jesus is calling us to the normal way. We've missed the fact that we are broken Jesus calls us out of our sin and brokenness and into his healing. He says, get up, and we scream, who are you to tell me what to do? Don't. Imagine Jesus seeing you inside of your favorite sin. 
Maybe it's one you publicly identify with. Maybe it's one that you don't speak about in public. But Jesus sees you inside of that sin. Sees you stretched out on that mat. And he says, get up and walk away. He said, who are you to tell me what to do? Imagine if this man had looked up at Jesus and said, I was born this way. Don't tell me what to do. Our excuses keep us on the mat. Jesus meets our excuses with expectations. But we must recalibrate our understanding of Jesus' expectations. We, we must recalibrate our understanding of Jesus' commandments. Jesus, Jesus sees us dying without air in our lungs and commands us to breathe. He offers us life in the midst of our death and we stomp our foot. And we demand, who are you to tell me to breathe? Jesus' great expectation in the middle of your excuses is this. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus meets your excuses with expectations. But the expectations are not burdensome and onerous. They're life-giving. They bring freedom. Never allow your issues to become your identity. Jesus meets your excuses with expectation. And finally this morning, watch this. The world calls you by your sin or your weakness, but Jesus calls you by your name. Angel used to work out, we both did, at a gym in town with a child care. I'm sorry, Aubrey. Um, she dropped Aubrey off in the nursery when she was little. This is why I apologize. Um, and the woman said, is she the one that screams? My bad. Angela said, no, she's my daughter, and her name is Aubrey. The world calls us by a lot of things. Satan will call you by a lot of things. He'll never call you by your name. The book of Isaiah is basically divided into two parts. So you got like Isaiah 1 through 39, which is written to God's people before they're carried off in exile. And you got Isaiah 40 through 66, which is essentially written to God's people after they've been carried off in exile. Turn with me to Isaiah. If you don't know where that is, it's, it's kind of in the middle of your Bible. So you're going to go backwards from the book of John. If you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. If you get to Jeremiah, you're not quite far enough. So we're in Isaiah chapter 40. I should have put this on the screen. I apologize. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Comfort, comfort. My people says your God. So, so in, in chapter 40, God urges the prophet to speak comfort to his people. Okay? So, so just, hey, I, Isaiah, they've been carried off captive into Babylon. Just tell them it, it's all right. But then chapter 40, the rest of 40, all the way through the end of chapter 42. So chapter 40, 41, and 42, three whole chapters is a defense of God's chastising or chastening of Israel. Basically, it's God is holy and righteous and seated on his throne. He warned you that if you sought after idols, they would not give you satisfaction. And that the end result would be that you would be exiled far from your home. 
That's what these three chapters are about. He says, comfort my people, but remind them why they're here. This is a parent speaking to his children. I told you what was going to happen. You chose this path, and now this is the result of your actions. God says, you've been defeated by Babylon and carried off in exile, and it's your fault. I told you I would bring destruction if you did not repent and turn. But then we get this shift in Isaiah 43. Turn on over. See, I gave you plenty of time because Isaiah 43 is the one I want to make sure you get. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. You ready? Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do you see it? Did you see it? Fear not. I've called you by name. In this moment, God's people were exiles. They were slaves, prisoners, aliens in a foreign land. They were broken, poor, destitute, and scared. But what does God call them? He doesn't call them sinner, broken, abandoned. He calls them by their name. I have this tradition. It's a weird just Craig tradition. I go, I've been gone for two weeks, but I come back from vacation, and I come here on Saturday night to look over my sermon when I get back from vacation. And, and last night, like, I mean, I got so jacked up in my life. I wish I could have preached this last night. So I'm going to try and not quite get to that level this morning, but it was exciting in my office last night. See, God calls them by their name. You see in the middle, <laughs> watch, in the middle of your mess, He knows you. He sees you and he knows you. Right in the middle of it. Whatever it is. Remember, these are people who have disobeyed God and as a result have experienced punishment, chastisement, discipline from the Lord. In the middle of it, he sees them and he knows them by their name. Maybe the people around you see you as broken or gay or lonely or depressed or hurt or angry or mean or materialistic or egotistical. Maybe they see you that way. Maybe they call you that way. God calls you by your name. He says, John, Emily, Susan, Terrell, Zach, Adam, Amanda, I see you. I see you. The pathology report said cancer, and God says, I see you. The background check says felon, and God says, I see you. John, I see you. And if that was all, it would almost be enough. See, God saw this man laying on a mat. Now, we don't see him call him by his name, but we do know that That the scene shifted. Remember? I I pointed out to you early on. Uh, you got to go back to John 5. Sorry, I should have warned you. Now, there is in Jerusalem, I'm in verse 2. By the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there, and Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. The man, the person, not the invalid, not the issue, 
Not the sickness, not the sin, not the pain. He saw him, a real, honest-to-goodness person, a human being laying there. And Jesus spoke to him. The world calls you by your sin, your weakness. Jesus calls you by your name. But watch, Jesus doesn't only call you by your name. He allows for you to be called by his name. You probably already left Isaiah 43 and you can't find it again. Let me tell you what he, what, let me remind you what he said though. I've called you by name. And then he says these words, you are mine. It's not just your name. Jesus allows you to be called by his name. When Jesus rose from the grave, he was discovered by a couple of Marys. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. That's what the Bible says. And in Matthew chapter 28, when they discover him, it, it gets kind of wild. There's all kind of craziness going on. But then finally Jesus speaks and he looks at him and he says this. He says, do not be afraid. Go and tell those guys. Go and tell those losers who left me. Go, go, and, tell, go and tell those jerks who abandoned me in my hour of greatest need. You know what? Go and tell Peter's friends. You know what, Mary? Just, just go tell somebody. <laughs> go tell my brothers. Any of y'all have brothers? What do y'all share in common? You share a name, usually. He said, go tell my brothers. Brothers. They're not his disciples. They've moved even beyond friend. Go tell my brothers. Jesus doesn't only call you by your name. He allows for you to be called by his name. In the middle of your sin and your shame, Jesus reaches down to rescue you. Now, we've been in the book of Acts. Remember, we've just taken the month of July off, and we're going to be back in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, that, that's where Christians first get called Christians, right? Initially, they were just sort of followers of the way or or, or, or maybe they, they were just a Jewish sect, or they were just the weird people that did these things over there somewhere. But, but eventually, they, they were called Christians. Probably not in a nice way. Probably people that were making fun of them. Little Christs. Well, aren't you just cute little Christs? But Jesus gives us his name. We're his brothers and sisters. We belong to him. How? Because laying on our mat, laying beside the pool, laying there with all of our excuses and our pain and our shame, laying there with all of our issues, Jesus died on the cross to set us free. He took your shame and my shame, your sin and my sin, your pain and my pain. He allowed it to be nailed to that cross with him. He took 
the punishment that was ours so that we might live free. Oh, I know. The world knows you as something else. As a matter of fact, our world encourages you to be something else. What might the world have encouraged Jesus' disciples to be? Traitors? Sellouts? Maybe even murderers? By extension. But Jesus knew them by their name and called them by his. Peter was perhaps the greatest sellout of all. Best we can tell, Jesus had three really good friends and probably two great friends in Peter and John. It's like John is number one friend and Peter's number two. We don't know exactly, you know, John's kind of, eh, where's he at? But we know where Peter was when Jesus was being tried. He's standing outside warming himself by the fire. Big tough guy, fisherman. And he gets intimidated by a little servant girl. You remember the story. I've seen you with him. No, no, no. I've seen you with him. Finally, Peter curses at her. Bleep, bleep, bleep. No, I have not been with him. And turns and runs. He's out of there. He's gone. He's not going to be caught up in Jesus' mess. He's not going to be called by Jesus' name. You see that? You're with him. No, I don't know him. Then Jesus sees Peter by the seashore after he's risen, doesn't he? And he calls him by his name, Peter. Not just any name, was it? It was the name that Jesus had given him. It was his nickname. His pet name. They, they dismissed formalities at this point. This is his bro name. Peter. 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 Come here. Peter shuffles over. What's up? He said, do you love me? Yeah. Okay. Let's get to work. Peter, pick up your mat and walk. Peter, get up off the mat and walk. There's an interesting thing that I can't quite get over in this passage of Scripture in the book of John. We don't see anywhere where Jesus calls this man to repent. This man's healing was not contingent upon anything he did. It was all the work of Christ. The only thing he had to do was get up. He was healed before he stood up. You understand? There was no doubt in Jesus' mind. Jesus said, get up. He didn't demand groveling from Peter. He said, get up. But here's what they knew. This man with his mat by the pool in Bethesda and Peter by the sea in Galilee. Here's what they knew. They knew that when they took up their mat 
and they walked with Christ, everything changed immediately. Peter knew that he was no longer a fisherman. Peter knew that he was a fisher of men. This invalid knew he was no longer an invalid. He was public enemy number one because he was a follower of Christ. See, when you choose to identify as a Christian, it's going to cost you something. Folks, it may very well cost you everything. So in conclusion this morning, are you willing to accept Jesus if it costs you your identity? Financially, professionally, socially. Some of you allowed your issues to be your identity. Now, we, we generally hear issues and we're always going, all oh, those negative things. Some of you, your issue is your money, your power, your prestige. That's become your identity. Some of you, it's your victimhood. You've lived so long as a victim of everything. And I'm here to tell you that when you give your life to Christ, He's going to tell you to get up and walk. Jesus meets your excuses with expectations. But His commands are not burdensome. They're life-giving. And finally, I remind you this morning, the world calls you by your sin and your weakness, but Jesus calls you by name. And there's some of you here today who he is calling by name. Coming to Christ is costly. Let's not lie about it, but it's worth it if you're willing to pay the price. Yesterday, we were on our way home from vacation, and... Um, Long story short, we stopped getting some fast food. We stopped at one place and it was closed. Well, it wasn't closed, but the, the, the dining room was closed. And I didn't want to feed everybody in the car. I wanted to get out and sit down. And so there was a Wendy's. So we went to Wendy's and, um, and we got, you know, whatever, and food. And, um, but Wendy's, if you don't know, Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's, is a big, big advocate for adoption. And usually when you walk into a Wendy's, there's like a little, there's a little, little um, container where you can... You can give money to support adoption. And it's always in a prominent place, usually the cash register. You can put your change in there. And um, Sloan in Brooklyn saw it. And, uh, of course, if you don't know, my two youngest are adopted. It's part of our family story. And um, I saw Sloan reach into his pocket and pull his little money out and shove some in the thing. All Brooklyn has was a 20. Yeah, y'all laugh because y'all don't know Brooklyn. She said, Daddy, I'm going to put my $20 in there. I feel bad because my, my parents would give it to her to spend on something at the beach. And I was like, here's three bucks, put that in there. You don't have to do all that, baby. But she didn't care. I had some money I gave her to put in there, but she was ready to do it, right? She's ready. Why do you run to give? It costs you your identity. What are you willing to give? See, here's what Jesus offers to you. Life forevermore. 
eternity set free from the shackles of sin and shame. He offers you new legs. He wants to pick you up off that nasty mat and allow you to walk. Will you walk with Jesus today? No fairy tales this morning. It's going to cost you something. Will you walk with Christ today? Are you willing to lose your identity to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ? Stand with me as we pray this morning. Lord God in heaven, I thank you for loving us. I thank you, Father God, that Jesus has called us up off of our mat. Lord, meet our excuses with your expectation. But, Father God, I pray that we would recognize that your expectation is breathe, walk, live. Lord God, in the book of John, chapter 3, just before Jesus meets this man, there's a man named Nicodemus that he met, Lord God, who came to him by night and said, what must I do? And Jesus said, you must be born again, Lord God. I pray that there are those here today who are willing to be born again, to have their identity shaped by Jesus Christ. I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand with us this morning. Today's the day that you're willing to have your identity reshaped and reformed by Christ. I invite you to come this morning. I'd love to pray with you to introduce you to new life with Lord Jesus Christ.